Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. We're continuing our series called Church on Fire as we're walking through the book of Acts. And I kind of want to start us off this morning by asking a rhetorical question just in your mind. Have you ever gone through something before that was so tough that you just wanted to quit? You just wanted to give up. You felt like you couldn't do it anymore. And if there was a situation where you wanted to quit but you didn't quit, you wonder what prevented you from quitting? What kept you going? Well, Acts chapter 14 shows us the courageous attitude of the apostles and their loyalty to Christ through thick and thin. Specifically, these two missionaries held to their purpose of preaching Christ despite extreme opposition and temptation to quit. Their valiant and consistent attitude is a great model for each and every one of us. They remain steadfast under pressure steadfast despite persecution. And as we walk through this chapter together this morning, we're going to see that like Paul and Barnabas, each and every Christian is called to be steadfast under pressure. So we're going to take a little bit of a geographical journey with these two guys, Paul and Barnabas. I call them P and B. And uh, that's just uh, been helpful for me. We're going to walk around their travels. The first city, the first stop that we venture on with them is a town called Iconium. And we're going to see that they were steadfast in Iconium. Verse 1 to 7 says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So Paul and Barnabas, they enter this city called Iconium and they follow the pattern that they've kind of established to this point, which is they try to find the Jewish synagogue first. They want to preach to the Jews first because they are trying to explain that the gospel proves that Jesus is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. So they always tried to start there. And so they end up preaching the gospel and there's great success. A lot of Jews and a lot of Gentiles believe. Once again in Acts, the gospel is shown to be the power of God for salvation for whoever believes. But then verse 2 introduces opposition right away. There's a successful conversion of many. They're probably riding that high. And it says Jews come and they poison the minds of the Gentiles against them and against the gospel. These people come directly against the message of Jesus. And it seems to be a fairly consistent theme. Whenever there's gospel advance, whenever there's significant kingdom expansion, opposition is sure to follow. Some kind of opposition. 
Whatever that will look like, we're not told all the time. But it just over and over again throughout church history, there's growth, there's expansion, and then there's opposition and persecution. So it's important for us to understand that. And, and P&B, Paul and Barnabas, they don't run away. They don't give up. Rather, they choose to stay, it says, for a long time to continue to preach the gospel, to fight against the poison that was going into the minds of these new believers. They remain steadfast under pressure. And I've used that word already a couple times. Maybe you're not familiar with the word steadfast. Steadfast means to be resolute, uh, steady, constant, unwavering, anchored in. You think about like a giant oak tree or those California redwoods. They're just massive. You can drive a car through some of them. They're so big. They just are rooted in so deep. They face so many storms and they don't budge. They're steadfast. They're steady. And this is Paul and Barnabas being steadfast. They were burdened, burdened for people to hear the gospel, to know Jesus, to to receive God's gracious gift of salvation, that there could be forgiveness for all who call upon the name of Jesus. So question that I've been wrestling with this week and a question for maybe each one of us is, do we have a deep burden for people to know Jesus? If, if we're honest and our answer is no this morning, we don't currently have a burden for people to know Jesus, can I just encourage you today to pray and say, God, would you give me a new or renewed burden for the lost? And if the answer is yes, you say, yes, I have a burden for more people to know Jesus, then the second question comes is, does that burden propel us into ministry? Does that burden propel us to be steadfast in our preaching of the gospel, living out of the gospel in our daily lives. Even in the face of opposition. And I don't know what kind of opposition you might face. That might be opposition from co-workers. That might be opposition from friends. It might be opposition from neighbors. It might be opposition from the government. It might be opposition from close family members. But does your burden for Jesus, for people to know Jesus, propel you to go for it in spite of that opposition, to be steadfast. See, because it's easy for us, I will admit, it's easy for us to be steadfast when things are kind of easy and people are cool with Jesus. And it's like, yeah, that's great, I love Jesus. It's easy for us to be steadfast when everybody else is being steadfast. Where it gets hard is when you go, I'm one of only a few people here right now that are actually wanting to follow Jesus. It seems like nobody else is interested in this. Now there's opposition. Now there's pressure to compromise. That's when it gets hard. As it goes on in Iconium, it says, The Lord honored their preaching of their word, their steadfastness. There was miracles that were done, signs and wonders, and yet the city was still divided. And the division was so strong that the city rulers tried to have Paul and Barnabas stoned. Now, if you're not familiar with the process of stoning, it is a painfully slow execution method where they would drag you out and they'd form a circle or or a half circle around you and literally they would grab rocks, stones, and, and throw them at you until you died. That's what they were trying to do. And Paul and Barnabas heard about this, they found out about the plan, and they fled to another city and and they just hid there. Nope, that's not what it says. They went to another city and they continued to preach the gospel. Paul and Barnabas were steadfast in Iconium and then they moved and they continued to be steadfast as they head into a new city called Lystra. 
steadfast now in Lystra, which is verse 8 to 18, which is a large, large chunk. I'm going to kind of summarize a bunch of it and read a few things. They go to this town, and as they're teaching, there's a crippled man who hears and ends up believing what they're saying. And Paul says, hey, stand up and walk. And miraculously, this man who's never walked before is healed. Very reminiscent of, of Peter at the temple in Acts chapter 3. Very similar kind of miracle. Now, the difference of what happens here versus Acts chapter 3 is in Lystra, there doesn't seem to be a Jewish synagogue or that many Jews as far as a a population. This is actually brand new, purely Gentile, non-Jewish pioneering ground, which explains why there ends up being confusion regarding what happened to this miracle. They believe that the Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, have arrived And they attribute the miracle to them. That was their cultural belief. They would likely had little to no knowledge of the Old Testament or the Hebrew faith and understanding all that. And so they're just like, wow, this miracle has happened. It must be Zeus and it must be Hermes. And they're here. And so Paul, and they start speaking in their own native tongue. And Paul and Barnabas don't really know what's going on at first. They start gathering the priest of of the temple of Zeus. They start bringing um, oxen out to be this big ceremony to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas because they think they're Zeus and Hermes. This is a massive communication breakdown. It takes Paul and Barnabas a long time to figure out what's going on because they're speaking another language. Now some miscommunications that you and I have are, are end up kind of comical or, or non-consequential. Maybe you go to a, a different country and you, you try to say thank you and, and you get the words wrong and you say you're ugly and you're like whoops. Okay? And, and that's embarrassing. But this one is hugely important. Hugely significant, huge miscommunication. They were going to offer sacrifices to these guys. So they kind of figure it out. Verse 15, Paul says to them, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and is all that is in them. He says, oh, no, 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 we're not God's. We're not gods. We're just bringing a message of the one true God to you. And it says they barely prevented the crowds from offering the sacrifices. So they just barely avoid this massive miscommunication, this horrible situation. It's just when it seems like things are settling down. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. So it goes from bad to worse, really quickly. These Jews had followed them all the way to Lystra for the express purpose of executing Paul. And you go, man, why did the crowds at Lystra turn so quickly on them? Was it because they were embarrassed and maybe they looked foolish for thinking they were gods, finding out that they weren't? Um, Did they just have a a high view of these Jews that that came and were able to persuade them? Hey, these guys aren't gods. They're imposters. There's liars. They, They deserve to die. I don't know exactly how they were able to persuade them so quickly, but one minute they're getting ready to sacrifice to them and think that they're gods, and the next minute they think that they're criminals who deserve to die. Interesting how crowds can shift, how people can turn so quickly depending on mob mentality. So they stone Paul. They drag him out of the city, and they think that he's dead. They think they've succeeded. That's the end of Paul. So I have a softball here, just as an illustration. So imagine a whole bunch of people gathered around you, 
And they're not just, you know, dropping this on you. Who, want, who wants to let me throw this at them in the face as hard as I can? There's a whole group of people just hurling rocks as hard as they can in trying to kill him, and they believe that they've done it. So it says that they thought he was dead, but he wasn't. Verse 20. When the disciples gathered up around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. So he wasn't dead. Something happened. The disciples came. Maybe they gave him some kind of medical treatment. Maybe the, the, the Lord worked miraculously to, to heal some of the injuries that had happened. We're not given the details there. But regardless, he wakes up, he gets up, and he goes on vacation. No. He goes home and he retires from preaching the gospel. No. They continue to preach the gospel. The very next day. Okay, it's not going to work here in Lystra. Let's go on to Derby. Continuing to be steadfast in the mission of making disciples. They were steadfast in this mission of making disciples. They continue to preach the gospel right after Paul almost died for doing it. You might think, maybe I just need a little bit of a break. Maybe you can go to the doctor for a little bit and, and, and then I'll start again. No, the next day he goes. Now, I, I'm not Paul. I wasn't there. But I'm sure as these rocks were hitting him, as he's maybe trying to get back up and getting hit and hit and hit again, he probably had a thought or two of giving up. He was probably tempted to say, this is crazy. This is too much. I'm done. You know, I just want to go home where it's safe and it's comfortable. But he didn't do it. He may have been tempted to, to give up. He may have been tempted to quit. But he didn't. He kind of reminds me of Rocky Balboa. You know, Sylvester Stallone movies, like, he just took so many hit, hit after hit after hit, never stayed down. Now, of course, the Rocky movies, they're, they're fictional movies, but this is real. This is 100% the inspired true word of God. This happened. Paul loved Jesus so much and believed the gospel so deeply that he would do anything so that more people would hear about Jesus. His life had been so radically changed by the gospel that he wrote in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I die, then I die. I get to go be with my Lord, my Savior, my God whom I believe. I get to be with Jesus if I die. Okay. But if I live, as long as I'm alive, as long as there's breath in these lungs, even if I've got scars and, and, and goose eggs on my forehead from rocks, as long as I'm breathing, then Christ is my life. I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. This one hit me hard this week. Can I say that? This is an easy verse to memorize. It's nice and short. Maybe some of you have memorized it. And if you haven't, I encourage you to memorize it. But I encourage you and me as well, not just to memorize it, but, but to live it, to believe it, to, to live this. Far too often, if I'm honest, I would say, well, for me to live is me and my desires. What I want to do. How often can I actually say, for me to live is Christ. Everything about me is Christ. As long as I live. I mean, imagine if our whole church didn't just memorize this, but, 
but got locked onto this and believed this and lived this out. Imagine what could happen in our lives, in our families, in our city. If we all said, man, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I die, I get to be with Jesus. There's nothing better than that. Moving on to verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city, which is Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they press on. They make more disciples. They're steadfast in that. And then they go back to the cities to encourage and strengthen the believers there. They go back to the cities where they just experienced crazy hostility. Back. Back to hostile ground. Back to enemy territory. See, they, they knew it was so important to encourage those new believers. They knew it was crucial that those believers were strengthened in their souls. And Paul, what was their encouragement when he gets there? Hey guys, um, lots of hardship has to happen. You're going to face lots of uh, opposition. Through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. Guess what? This was what life was kind of like for Jesus. He endured opposition after opposition and persecution and torture and death. Why should we expect anything else? What a motivational talk. But he's, he's like, I'm going to lay this out. Guys, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. Through many trials and tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. He told them like it is. He didn't sugarcoat it. He reminded them of what they needed to hear. And Paul wrote similar, similar things to his young apprentice, Timothy. One of the last things that he actually wrote down. Timothy, by the way, was from Lystra. Maybe he was one of these first believers. We're not 100% sure, but he was from Lystra. And so in writing in 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 12, he's contrasting how people are going to turn away from the Lord in the last days. And he says in verse 10 to Timothy, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We need this reminder too. We need to be strengthened. We need to be encouraged. We shouldn't be shocked when individuals... Organizations or even entire governments start opposing Jesus and Jesus' followers. Now, I don't know what's going to happen in, in Canada. Things are pretty good in Canada right now. Compared to the rest of the world, we've got it pretty good. But we don't know how long it's going to be that way. Are we going to be able to remain steadfast? Paul's word to these new believers is the same word for each one of us. Don't give up. Don't give up. Face the tribulations. Face the opposition with courage because Jesus has overcome the world. Not because you're so strong and you've got all this courage deep down inside and you just got to go looking for it. No, because Jesus has overcome. We sang this morning, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. 
Not by our power, but by his at work in us. One day he's going to come back and he's going to rescue those who, who trust in him. He's going to reward those who are steadfast to him. And, he's, and Paul is saying the same thing to them as he's saying to us now through the word of God. Hold on to Jesus. It's going to be worth it. Jesus is worth it. Whatever happens, clinging on to Jesus. I just imagine being there in Lystra, one of those new believers. How powerful it would be to hear this from Paul, still probably bloodied and scarred and bruised and beat up. You would think he would be the one that would need some extra encouragement at this time. Hey, Paul, we want to gather around you. We want to encourage you. It's been so hard for you. We love you. But he's the one that encourages them. Maybe they were tempted to turn back. Oh, if this is what it's like to follow Jesus, I don't know how I feel about this. And Paul's like, no, it's worth it. Doesn't matter if they stone me, if they whip me, if I get shipwrecked, if I get beat, all those things happen to him. If I get in prison, happen to him. Jesus is worth it. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but one of the things that I noticed this week, I kind of struggle sometimes to relate to a person like the Apostle Paul because I feel like he's kind of like this super Christian. And it seems like he almost has like this superhuman ability and drive to just keep going. And I, and I go, I mean, I believe, I absolutely believe this happened. I believe he's a real guy. I believe in the word of God. But sometimes I find it just a little bit difficult to relate to somebody and, and what they, because I feel like I don't have that yet and, and steadfast under so much trial. And so what I wanted to do is I went looking for a story of somebody who's alive now who's steadfast in making disciples, steadfast under opposition. It's a man named Farid and he is a pastor who ministers in war-torn and predominantly Muslim Syria. Death threats against Pastor Farid are so common he can't track them all. Except for one morning that he was able to count 30 of them because they were numbered and spray painted on his house. Number one said, this is how we're going to kill you. Number two said, this is how we're going to kill your wife. Number three said, this is how we're going to kill your children. And on and on they went all over his house. And he didn't give up. A portion of Pastor Farid's death threats came to him by text message from a man who got his phone number. His, this man's name was Rashid. And someone from the church asked him, said, why don't you just get a new phone with a different number or block this guy's number and then he can't annoy you and terrorize you with these death threats anymore. And he says, no. Rashid's threats remind me to pray for him every day. No one else will, so I will. Pastor Farid did more than pray for this man. He actually found out where he lived and he went to Rashid's home and he gave him a Bible. Some weeks later, the area where Rashid lives was being bombed heavily. The Quran was not offering him any comfort. He ended up picking up the Bible. He started to read it and he read it until 6 a.m. the next morning. Along the way, he fell in love with Jesus. Rashid now writes worship songs for the church for Pastor Farid in Syria. Steadfast in making disciples. Steadfast for the gospel. Steadfast in loving people in the midst of opposition. 
And so this morning, I don't know where, where you're at. I just want to say, don't give up. Don't give up following Jesus. You might feel like you just, you're facing constant opposition from people and you're getting pummeled, maybe not physically, maybe emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Keep going. The Lord is with you. The Lord's going to use you. The Lord will reward you as you stand steadfast for him and the strength that he provides. Don't stop following Jesus. Whether you're standing on the assembly line or you're waiting in the grocery line, don't stop looking for opportunities to proclaim the good news of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, the hope, the forgiveness that he offers. Don't stop praying for that friend, maybe that neighbor, family member, or maybe an enemy like Rashid to come to Jesus. Don't give up. Don't stop loving that person who's really hard to love, who doesn't love you back. Cling to the grace of God that is available to us. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you each and every day. And I've just got to be honest and confess up here, there are days when I wake up and I don't ask that. I just go through the motions. I'm like, I haven't even asked the Lord to, to fill me and use me today. I just, I just, what? Man, take, take five minutes in the morning. Holy Spirit, fill me anew today. Help me to be steadfast to you. I pray that we would never stop making disciples. That the gathering would be known for a church that is steadfast for making disciples. Steadfast, standing for Jesus, no matter what kind of pressure we may face. So that like Paul, we can actually say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Let's pray together. Father God, your word is true and it's powerful. And I pray that by your spirit, it would be penetrating into each one of our hearts, myself included. Lord, I don't know the types of opposition that our people are facing, but you do. And I pray whatever kind of opposition that they are facing right now, that we're going through or that we will face, that you would help us to be steadfast for your name steadfast for the gospel, steadfast in making disciples. I pray that you would give us a a new or a renewed love for you, love for the gospel, love for those who haven't believed the gospel yet. May our church be marked by steadfast believers. Not because we're relying on our strength. No, God. Because we're all leaning and relying on your strength, the grace that you provide for us. Lord, I pray that you would do a work, a mighty work in Windsor. You are already up to stuff here. We can testify to that, but we pray for more. Would would you use us to take your gospel out, even in the face of pressure and opposition, so that your kingdom would expand here in Windsor, Essex, for the glory of God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.